Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Nicole calling from Hamilton, and I needed to let everyone know that I really proudly support Beach and creative control. I have for many years, I will for many more, as long as he keeps delivering these amazing interview podcasts. When you hear one of Beach's interviews, you think he's known this guest for years, they're good friends. Uh, but the truth is, he approaches every interview, whether it's sort of up and coming indie artists or established icons or like famous intimidating comedians with uh, a really deep, genuine curiosity. So he's never met this person and the same really warm uh, candor as so though he's known them forever. I think it really lends to a great chat no matter who he's talking to. And for that reason, I think you should throw Vish like what, a dollar a month? He's got jokes. The jokes make it worth it. Support Creative Control on Patreon. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. I'm Visha's wife, and remember, when you name a dog Janet or Timothy, you are dragging humanity down just a little bit. Mark Davidson and Parker Fischel both occupy key leadership and curatorial roles at the Bob Dylan Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Each has worked tremendously hard to make the Bob Dylan Center a state-of-the-art, living and evolving testament, not simply to a man and his revolutionary music and work, but to the spirit and power of creativity and endless possibilities in life. I recently had the great fortune of attending the VIP Grand Opening Weekend for the Bob Dylan Center between May 5th and May 7th, 2022, where I encountered Mark and Parker, who had a lot of work and running around to do. As such, we didn't really get a chance to talk there until we, uh, Parker and I, that is, left Tulsa and went to our respective homes. Uh, And after that, we did have a talk. We had a talk about their work on the Bob Dylan Center and how they got there, 
What is the deal with Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the philanthropic role played by the George Kaiser Family Foundation? Mark's work with the neighboring and earlier established Woody Guthrie Center, Parker's contributions to Bob Dylan's bootleg series, the nature and scope of the Bob Dylan archives and how fans have informed it, grand opening sightings and interactions with the likes of Mavis Staples, Patti Smith, Lenny Kay, Elvis Costello, Taj Mahal, and Mark Marin. How and why the center will always change, inspiring younger generations of creative people, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and friendly staff who will happily help you order any Bob Dylan records you want and anything else. You can learn more about them at blackbird.ca. Plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 686 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Mark Davidson and Parker Fischel from the Bob Dylan Center, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hey, Parker, how you doing? Good. How are you doing, Vish? I'm well, thank you. Where in the world are you today? Well, I'm here in Manhattan, in New York City, the uh, the center of the universe, I guess, as they like to claim, and I'm surrounded by stuff. <laughs> I can see that on our uh, video interface here. You are indeed surrounded by stuff. I'm glad you made it back to Manhattan. It seems like only days ago, we were all in Tulsa, Oklahoma. When did you get back? I got back Sunday in the early evening. Oh, nice. Good for you. Yes. Good. How, by the way, uh, I don't mean to quibble. How long a ride is it uh, to Manhattan from Tulsa? Because for me, it was 14 hours. It wasn't quite <laughs> that bad. <laughs> it in, does involve a layover, at least at this juncture. I know that there were rumors swirling in Tulsa that American is going to start three nonstop flights from New York City to Tulsa oh. very soon, which will make the long weekend or, you know, the, the jaunt down there for the work week much more doable. Uh, but it took, let's see, I left around 10 a.m. and I got back around four. Oh, okay. So six hours. That's not so bad. That's pretty good. Oh, no, with a very quick layover in Dallas where I uh, speed walk to the, you know, the train and speed walk to the gate. But right. um, it's not it's not it. it's not the easiest to get to Tulsa on some level. You can do it, uh, but you, there seem to be a lot of layovers and whatnot. Yes. Yes. You get to see other parts of the country um, that you might not otherwise get to experience. I like my I like to route myself through Charlotte. Um, oh, yeah. I like the rocking chairs in the airport. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah. Charlotte's and nice. If you have a longer uh, layover, it's a nice way to pass the time. Nice. Now, uh, how often are you going to Tulsa, by the way? You said work week. Are you commuting constantly? 
<laughs> no, no. I wish I was down there a little more frequently than I have been. Um, obviously, the pandemic sort of threw a wrench in the whole thing. So prior to this past weekend, the last time I had been to Tulsa was December of 2019. Oh, okay. The fact that everyone has their sort of last trip they took before the world closed down. And I think Tulsa was mine. Okay, I got it. Now, can you tell us what you do uh, for the Bob Dylan Center exactly? What, sure. Yeah. Alongside Mark Davidson, who will uh, step up to the plate shortly, I was part of the curatorial team that helped to put together the exhibits and the interactives and all of the sort of odds and ends of the Bob Dylan Center. It's remarkable stuff. We'll get into how remarkable it is as we go, but uh, I appreciate that. So you're a co-curator. That's ostensibly your title or is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Okay. Is that uh, I think that's reasonable, Mark. You can jump in if you feel otherwise. Yeah, let's get Mark to jump in now. Mark, how's it going there? <laughs> Good. Everything's everything's going well here in Tulsa. Had the ribbon cutting in the public opening uh, yesterday morning. And yeah, now now we're open for business. Uh, I, I, I wanted to say we also have a center of the universe here in Tulsa. It is, in fact, I think the number one uh, travel destination or, you know, w- number one listed destination on most travel websites. Uh, Vish, I think you probably experienced the center of the universe. I'm not sure. Did I? What oh, is, tell me what that it's, is. It's it's this weird, <laughs> just a little spot on uh, one of the bridges oh, right. connecting the arts district to downtown and it's just a weird audio phenomenon and everybody goes to to hear their voice uh become invisible and uh hear all the weird echoes that are created on that bridge right uh, is it yeah is it denver or cheyenne which bridge is that or is it either of those oh gosh it's a it's solely a pedestrian bridge yeah it's a oh, pedestrian so bridge. it's like right yeah. behind oh, okay. um it's sort of right behind the big, you know, block that the Dillon Center is on. Okay. Yes. Um, okay. And you get to pass on your way over the the is it the Oklahoma Jazz Hall of Fame? I think. Yes. Yes. The old train depot. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Everybody who comes through town does it, and and they're forever changed. So you know, it's this is happening already. You come back from a place, and people say, "Oh, you went to that place? Did you go to that? Did you do that thing?" And you go, "Oh no." I forgot to do that. Is that good? They're like, what? How could you go there and not check out the Route 66 thing or the center of the universe? Because a guy told me about the center of the universe. Uh, and I said, oh, that sounds interesting. When can I do that? He's like, oh, it's right. He described what you described. Now, my hotel was a, about a 25-minute walk from uh, the Arts District where the Bob Dylan Center and the Woody Guthrie Center are. And uh, I just kept taking different, I think, I guess they're a car, but, you know, they're real bridges that cars go over. I neglected to go to the center of the universe, fellas. I feel badly now, and uh, uh, I feel bad. I didn't do everything. There's things I didn't do. Hey, also. next it's time. It's only another 14 hours to come back. <laughs> <laughs> next time. Hey, I do want to come back because I found it very extraordinary. I'd like to bring my family maybe sometime. Maybe if the pandemic dies down or something like that. I don't know. But I also never want to leave my house again uh, because they were... Long trips. But anyway, uh, Mark, thank you for that. Uh, you are not from Tulsa, though, right? No, I'm I'm from Chicago land, uh, and I've lived Tallahassee, Florida, Santa Cruz, San Francisco, most recently Austin. But I identify as a an upper Midwesterner and, and being from Chicago, even though it's the very far north suburbs. 
You sound like you someone who is uh, constantly trying to find a better place to live while fleeing the Chicago cold. <laughs> Everywhere you described was quite warm. Yes. Well, uh, imagine my surprise moving to uh, Santa Cruz and San Francisco. Think I would thinking I was going to California and be being, uh, you know, freezing the whole time. It's it's uh, yeah, it's a different climate altogether. Yeah. So, Mark, what is your title at the Bob Dylan Center exactly? Exactly is uh, Director of Archives and Exhibits for the Bob Dylan and Woody Guthrie Centers, and I'm the curator of the Bob Dylan Archive. Okay, so that is, uh, those are incredible distinctions for anyone to have. Uh, let's, I want to get into your vocational background just a little bit before we get into the actual uh, specialness of the, of the centers, uh, both of them. I got to attend both. Actually, before I even get into that, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me to Tulsa. I know I, I sound crabby about the traveling and for missing on some key tourist activities. But, uh, you know, I wrote uh, uh, an email last night, finally, to... Uh, I've been back a couple of days and trying to catch up on life. I finally wrote a note to uh, Larry Jenkins and some other people at the center who I was on various email threads with, and it just hit me. I just... I was treated so well. I, I felt so honored to be invited to this... Uh, uh, I guess it was a VIP grand opening, and I don't mean to stress the VIP part, but it was the pre It was before mm-hmm. the public got to see it. And I don't know what I've done to deserve any of this, but it was so nice. And people, the generosity of spirit, the hospitality. Sorry, I'm going on and on. Mark, in particular, I think you were responsible. And Park, I don't know. I don't know who. I don't know who is behind this chicanery. But I just want to say thank you. It really meant a lot, uh, Mark, in particular. You and I have corresponded a little bit over the years. Thank you so much for uh, having me there. I just want to say that. Oh, you're you're absolutely welcome. I, honestly, um, being able to you know, hang around with you at shows and, and just, you know, provide you with your first Topo Chico ever and all of that. It was, <laughs> it was really, really a, a treat. Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say. So, uh, let's get into how you both have landed here, uh, in these positions, because, uh, for those who can't tell or see us, uh, your young people, uh, younger guys involved in, uh, centers devoted to, uh, Artists with long legacies. What do you got? Three, Bob Dylan. Um, that's not that unusual. I'm a younger. I'm not that old. Come on, I know what you're thinking. I look a little old, don't I? But I'm not that old. Just because I complain about traveling and not catching all the tourist activities. Anyway, Parker, how do you get involved in an enterprise or enterprises? I should say, like uh, like these centers. How, how does this even happen? A lot of good luck. <laughs> Are you are you yeah, are you I, um, both fanatics per se? I mean, you must be by this point. But were you coming into this being like, "Yeah, this is amazing"? Like, I've always loved these artists or this artist in particular, Bob Dylan, uh, or was it just the course of your work that brought you to this? To to dial back, uh, you know, I grew up in a. My dad was in the record business, and so I grew up in a household where music was always playing. And in fact, I had uh, I rarely. I try to give, you know, artists their, uh, their distance and, you know, but I had to uh, go up to Lenny Kay, Patti Smith guitarist and, uh, and gush about, you know, he assembled that garage rock compilation nuggets. And I was just like, you know, I think the Beatles got me into music. And then in eighth grade, my dad spent a summer, something like eighth grade, my dad spent a summer playing me his favorite records like volunteers by the jefferson airplane was one 
and Nuggets was another like, you know, this was before I gave up sports. So we're driving around all over to go to basketball games or soccer games. Anyway, play me Nuggets. It blew my mind and like, you know, set me on the path. So I had to go up to Lenny and just, you know, gush a little bit. And and I hope that uh, he'll forgive me that because I'm oh, sure he gets it all the time. Was that because Lenny was at the, the was part of this grand opening? Is that what you're yes. talking about? Is that what you're Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, should yeah. I should clarify. I yes, assume you were I like eight years to... old. I just thought you were eight years old. You're running to Lenny K and you're like, Mr. K. No, no, no. Okay. No. Just okay. this past weekend, you know, I still like put on nuggets for sustenance. Um, it still like thrills me in the same way. Yeah. So yes, this past weekend, I had the opportunity to meet him for the first time and I gushed a little bit. But yeah, so I grew up in a musical family. And then I, in college, got really interested. I worked at WKCR FM, which is um, the radio station uh, that's part of Columbia University and was a DJ playing country music, like traditional country music, honky tonk country music jazz and, and new music experimental music and uh, kcr has this amazing archive it was the first fm station because fm was developed at columbia university and so it has this amazing archive of, of reel to reels predominantly going back you know to the 40s and so if you take an interest in that part of it is like you know learning how to use the equipment and do some of the audio preservation eventually um and then um you know uh, so that got me interested in archives and I eventually landed this is a very long way of how I got to the no, it's fine. point where we met, but it all makes sense in a second here. I promise. Um, got very interested in audio preservation. And I then after I graduated from school, again, I kept getting into like these like little freelance gigs that made me more and more interested in archives. And eventually I landed at the University of Texas in Austin because at their library school, because they had were one of the few schools at the time that had any sort of coursework in audio preservation. And that is where I happened to meet Dr. MD, Mark Davidson. I see. Um, And so we actually go back to the Austin days. And yeah, when we graduated, I became sort of, you know, a freelance archivist. I had this sort of background in audio preservation and interest in music. So that's predominantly, you know, what I've been doing. I've been lucky enough to be roped into some of the more recent bootleg series yeah. that uh, the that Sony and you know Bob Dylan have put out over the the past few years, and so in that way, when everything started to come together with Tulsa, um, I found myself sort of in the background of what was happening. And in a lot of conversations with Michael Chaikin, who um, should also get his shout out, who was the first curator of the Bob Dylan archive and uh, is a close um, friend and, and colleague still of, of Mark and I, even though he left the project about a year ago. And that's when sort of I got roped in more formally to kind of, uh, you know, bring it home. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And so that's. That's the long version of, of how I sort of came to meet you this past week. Oh, that's great. I appreciate the the, the background. And uh, I, I got to interview Michael for uh, CKUA, the radio station. And it was a lovely conversation. Uh, and I was looking forward to seeing him over the weekend. But I guess, uh, yeah, you said he'd moved on. So, uh, no, I really appreciate all of that uh, information. Um, Mark, similar question, I suppose. Uh, why are you here? What are you doing? What are we doing? What the hell is going on? Now, how did you get to this position at the with these two centers? Yeah, I, I, I was in the right place at the right time with the right degrees and right experience. 
knowing the right people. And so I feel very fortunate as opposed to lucky. I, I work to be where I where I am. It just, you know, things fell into a, a very particular sort of place. I, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm from the far north suburbs of Chicago, uh, by Wisconsin, became a musician very early on, and then just followed that for the rest of my life. And uh, that led me to uh, eventually to Tallahassee, Florida, where I did my undergrad in uh, music history and literature and classical guitar, played in a bunch of bands, tours, toured, made records, including the never released uh, Albini record that I did. Um, uh, Burnt out on being broke in my 20s and decided to go for a PhD in musicology. Uh, Found myself in Santa Cruz, uh, go banana slugs. Uh, So I did my PhD at UC Santa Cruz. Uh, Mascot is the banana slugs. You were just cheering on an insect, I think. I don't know what that was. Yes, Yes, the uh, the banana slugs is the uh, mascot of UC Santa Cruz. It it is uh, what a bizarre place. It's uh, beautiful. It's it's this university that was built, I think, in the '60s on acres and acres and acres of redwood forest and these big sort of uh, brutalist concrete buildings nestled into this. You know, it's I moved from Tallahassee, which was kind of like you know swampy, you know. Yoda should have lived there to Endor and in Santa Cruz and mountain lion warnings and, and all the rest. And, uh, uh, so I'm doing a PhD in musicology. I, uh, at some point, you know, 2008 happened. So we had this huge recession, right. As I had gotten into the PhD and I thought, I kind of want a job if I'm going to be taking on this student loan debt yeah. and uh, uh, had always been interested in archives, ended up going to UT Austin. I met Parker there. Uh, I finished my PhD up while I finished up my dissertation uh, while I was doing the, the the master's degree. So if that doesn't, yeah. So I was doing two advanced graduate degrees at, at the same time. And my dissertation ended up being, I don't know, 800 some pages on folk music collecting during the WPA. So the all the the people who were out in the throughout the country with these big lacquer disc recording machines, uh, Sidney Robertson Cowell, Zora Neale Hurston, Charles Seeger, and Alan Lomax were involved. Um, really, really fascinating project. And yeah, I was doing audio preservation, and then I graduated. I was teaching about music and copyright. I I had served as a forensic musicologist on a couple of high profile copyright cases involving the the worst band ever from your country uh, oh. no names no names okay i can't um, say their name i want to say nope. their name okay fine nope. fine, 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 uh, fine fine and uh <laughs> and uh and working for a historian uh named Douglas Brinkley and then this job popped up and I took it. And and I've been here since August of 2017. Right. All right. Now, again, I appreciate this background. The Bob Dylan archive, if I recall correctly, and I meant to bring some of the wonderful, uh, uh, I guess, background information that was provided over booklets. But I believe the Bob Dylan archive was acquired by the George Kaiser Foundation in what, 2016? Is that right? Exactly. Right? Yeah. Okay. The George Kaiser Family Foundation and the University of Tulsa purchased it jointly in in 2016. Okay. So, Parker, what is 
what's going on there exactly? Can you just briefly, I know that this story has circulated in terms of why, uh, why Bob Dylan decided and his people rather decided to, uh, provide their archive to the George Kaiser Family Foundation. I'm curious if you can give us a little background on what the connect, what the George Kaiser Family Foundation is, why they would have acquired this archive. I know the number one question, I think it's on the FAQs of your site is, why Tulsa? And I know just for people listening, like who may not know this, I'm wondering if you could answer at least those two questions. Uh, why do you think the archive was delivered when it was? Why to the George Kaiser Family Foundation? And, and then also, I think that those two things will connect to why Tulsa, based on what I know. But Parker, are you able to talk about that just a little bit from your understanding? I might kick that to Mark. That's, um, that's that might fair. be that's fair. Yeah, yeah, that might be something that he knows a little bit more about. Sure, Mark, uh, can you field those various questions? Yes, yeah, I can. Why Tulsa? Um, <laughs> so, in in 2013, the 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 Woody Guthrie Center opens, uh, which houses the Woody Guthrie archives, Phil Oaks archives, Tom Paxton archives, a number of other collections. Uh, most recently, the Book and LP collection of Harry Smith, the Library of of Izzy Young. So that that archive really was the centerpiece of the Woody Guthrie Center. And one of the people who was involved getting that to Tulsa was also involved with brokering the Bob Dylan archive uh, to Tulsa. There there was a connection there already. It's my understanding that that there are a number of, of, you know, different places that had been considered. And I, I can't speak for Bob or his people, but I, I think there was something that they liked about not just Tulsa, but the George Kaiser Family Foundation in general. Uh, George Kaiser has spent a, a very long time working to you know, break the cycle of poverty here in Tulsa um, and throughout the state. Uh, we have the highest, one of the highest rates of incarcerated women in the world. Yeah, it, it, Oklahoma is it has some areas for improvement, I think. And, and George Kaiser has been steadfast in trying to do that. And, and one of the other projects that, that he and the foundation have been doing is, is to make Tulsa a better place to live. So with uh, the Woody Guthrie Center, the Bob Dylan Center, uh, Guthrie Green right, right across the street, the Tulsa Artist Fellowship, uh, the Tulsa Remote Program, Vichy might think about this because they'll give you $10,000 to move to Tulsa if you work remotely. Uh, a, uh, 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 Wait, they'll, talk more? <laughs> they'll pay me money to move there, but I don't have to move there? Is that what you just said? No, no, no. You, uh, uh, if you work remotely, uh, no, 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 that would be a deal. No, if, if you work remotely, uh, if that's, you know, how, how you earn your, your, your living, uh, there's a program where you can move to Tulsa oh. and do your working here if it's a, you know, remote position. And there are incentives. Uh, really, they're they're trying to build up Tulsa. There's a huge, unbelievable public park called Gathering Place that yeah, uh, yeah. the uh, that GKFF helped build as well. So all of this is is you know the the effort to to make Tulsa a better place to live and an attractive place for people to to come be. So I'll tell you that I uh, was staying at a hotel at Seventh. Uh, 7th- uh, street on 7th 7th street i think i want to call it yeah again about 20 24 minutes away from the arts district and uh, whenever i could i would walk back and forth to the hotel uh instead of uh 
getting lifts or whatever and uh literally lifts uh or rides and um it was fascinating to me because I would walk through what I think is ostensibly the business district. Um, and the business district consists of, you know, tall kind of corporate buildings and a lot of like, uh, for me, a very jarring American experience, a sheriff's office, courthouse, well, you know, various probably jails and other things. And it was pretty much deserted every time, every time a day I walked, uh, through that downtown to almost to an eerie extent, like, Oh my God, I'm the, what am I doing? No one walks here. Maybe was that what's going on? Then you get to the art. I go over one of those bridges that we, I was describing earlier. And then you'd start to hear the hum of the people because, uh, the arts district was so vibrant. Uh, and, uh, actually we should say beyond the festivities for your centers, uh, there was a, it was a Cinco de Mayo celebration weekend. Or no, it was it May Mayfest, Mayfest. in Tulsa, yeah. which yeah, I think brought I I, I heard a hundred thousand or so folks through the arts district that weekend. Very bustly, hustly and bustly. So I would go from like completely deserted downtown core, I would say if, if that's what it's called, I don't know, business district, and then just like uh, masses of people, and it felt alive to the point where you you us three were walking through an alley. And uh, I understand that we might have heard the band Hanson jamming. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I know that this, you said this. I'll confirm that. I can't tell. <laughs> I couldn't tell if I was being punked or pranked, but because uh, who, hey, we got this Ruben from Canada. Let's just tell him Hanson <laughs> is in that room over there. And I was like, okay, guys, sure. I'm I'm sure it's Hanson. Anyway, I, I mean, Parker, you haven't been there very often. But I, go, well, go no, ahead. You, no, no, you go ahead. No, I just wanted to say, like, you know, I, I've been I have been lucky enough to go there since about when the archive landed there. Um, you know, Chaikin brought me down a couple times. And each time I go there, it has blossomed more and more, particularly the arts district, yeah. Um, yeah. which I know has been a, you know, a big you know initiative, cultural initiative of the George Kaiser Family Foundation, along with a lot of other interested and invested folks in Tulsa. And and it's it's been really gratifying to sort of see you know how the Dillon Center will fit into this community that already is blossoming in this way. And I think that's one of the really exciting things and something that Mark didn't mention, but I want to make sure it was like, you know, again, this is some of the discussion that happened about why Tulsa, but you know, other places were surely considered, but you know, at a Harrier Ransom Center, which is the big research archive at the University of Texas or at New York Public Library or, you know, any other Yale, like Harvard, you know, any other sort of, you know, large archive, you know, Dylan's work sort of gets lumped in with one, you know, all the other, you know, and um, and here it's allowed to be, I think, something really unique, like the center is a living sort of experience yeah. of this archive of this person. Yeah who is still creating, um, it's not sort of an ossified thing. And so I think that was, you know, again, I'm just speculating here, but, you know, one of the attractive parts of bringing the archive to Tulsa and not just Woody, but Bob in his statement also talks about, you know, um, the First Nations, um, particularly when it was uh, first acquired, it was held at the Helmerich Center for American Research, which is the research wing, I guess, of, of the Gilcrease Museum in, in Tulsa, which has a world-class archive and 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 set of museum material you know i, I, uh, I yeah i what i really appreciate about my experience there and and from all the 
sort of uh, language around the point of these centers is that it's really forward-looking and forward-thinking. It really has an eye on the next generation. Normally you hear... I mean, maybe in a, maybe that encapsulates what a museum of any kind is. It's historical by its very nature. It's a lot of uh, archived and, and older materials, but they're meant to inform our present and our future. But with these two figures in particular, Woody Guthrie and Bob Dylan, they are so inspiring and so they were, they are and were so uncompromising in their artistic vision and belief in the possibility of art and 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 making i think you know dylan would fight off being pigeonholed as being you know the voice of a generation and all these sorts of things all these lofty titles but i do think in his actions and in his work he he was exploring the possibilities always and i think that is what has inspired and motivated those of us who are fans so Mark, is that a sim? Am I wrong? Like that seems like a similar, based on what Parker's saying and what you're saying in terms of why the George Kaiser Family Foundation does the work it does. It does seem to be really about the next generation of of creators of of, of young people who may not realize that this is within their grasp. That's my sense of the Bob Dylan Center. It's really meant to inspire young people to be like, look, here's a here's a lodestar. Here's an example of someone who did something out of nothing. Um, is that a fair sort of assessment, Mark? Yeah, exactly. I that is, you know, each each center has its its, I guess, uh, sub theme or or you know, yeah, yeah, sort of the 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 current underneath. So the the Woody Guthrie Center is devoted to, you know, equity, justice, social justice, speaking out now. I, I know that um, one of the reasons that George Kaiser was so excited about bringing Woody Guthrie's archive, which had been in New York, back to Oklahoma, you know, Woody was from Okima. Uh, now, Oklahoma used to be a red state before it was a red state. It was very, very progressive left, leaning socialist. Uh, there was a, a populism there that was really, really important. And Woody Guthrie, you know, was was just one of the figures coming out of that and i think there's a lot to be to be said there because um it's you know it's certainly not that way now but there is a history there mm. and the dylan center is yes it's it's to show off dylan's own you know restless creativity as 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 we've we've understood it but but to inspire others and it's it's not simply a museum showing off the Dylan archive, which is amazing and rich and one of the largest and most valuable archives ever constructed to a single artist. What we're trying to do, especially in the rotating exhibits, is to to get at other creators or ideas about creativity, uh, the notion of, you know, if if we're talking about the folk process and, and Dylan borrowing, you know, melodies or, or chord progressions from different people to create his, his music, you know, the tradition of that uh, sort of the, the famous uh, Alan Lomax, Muddy Waters interview where Lomax asked Muddy Waters, where'd you learn that song? And he said, well, I wrote it. And then after a couple more questions, you know, he says, well, I actually learned it from this person, but you know, it's this idea of ownership. And then you get into hip hop and sampling and and lawsuits and mm-hmm. Bismarcky and and all the folks who have gotten screwed by you know 
rich, you know, or, or well-connected white folks. And, and then you get into things like deep forest or enigma who are like sampling field recordings from indigenous cultures and then making, you know, millions of dollars. And then, and then the lines become blurry about what can be borrowed and who can, who can borrow and, and, and all of that. So just, you know, creators, creativity, the creative process, Hmm. um, and all of that to, to inspire and make people ask questions. Yeah, no, that's fair. So, uh, I want to get into the center and reflect upon uh, my own visits through uh, both of them in a in a moment. But um, sorry, uh, Parker, was Mark there before you, or did you? Who who was at this? Uh, who was in these positions first? I think I predate Mark in my involvement with like in the Dylan world just through the bootleg series. Okay, through so working he, on he, those, but um, yeah, but yeah. Mark is the ranking member of of the sort of Bob Dylan Archive Center. Right. And Mark, Mark, you were there since 2017, did you say? Yeah, August of, of 2017. Okay. I want to go to Parker first, though. So for those of us who are uh, Dylan freaks, uh, to be tapped to be involved in the bootleg series would be, in any capacity, would would be pretty overwhelming. Can you Do you have a sense, memory of your first days uh, encountering materials, uh, probably things that no one had really seen before uh, or a small pocket of people had seen before. What is your memory of your first, what did you work on? What was your first memory of encountering that stuff? Well, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was, a, a, I think it was, came together in the spring, summer of 2015. And it was the bootleg series, volume 12, cutting edge, which was the complete studio recordings of 1965 and 1966, which is bringing it all back home. Highway 61 revisited in Blonde on Blonde. And the entire project was, you know, there you go. You're holding it up right now. Exactly. It was a, you know, it's a pinch me moment. It was just what, what more can you ask, you know, for your first sort of project than to like help pull the pieces together. And, you know, a large part is like, yeah, making sure that everything that, should be on the table for consideration is is on the table both in terms of all the audio all of the photography all of the um you know artifacts that sort of make those releases so rich and then you know helping to facilitate sort of the production process so what's the uh if i may what's the chain of command from your sense of things i'll ask this of both of you uh, mark in particular because of the archive and what was given and what is has you guys, so I'll just say this, you did me a real solid. You showed me things that I don't think the general public uh, has yet to see. Maybe they will eventually. Preserved lyrics and notebooks. And I was like, what the? So for me, I don't know if I, I think I kept my chill, but I was like, what the hell? Like, this is so amazing. I just want to, again, thank you for the, the special uh, treatment, if you will, or the whatever it is. But the chain of command, I'm curious about in terms of that bootleg series um, experience. Like, I assume you're working with, I know the people involved in sort of Dylan's camp, uh, the ones that are often given the executive producer credit. If not, I assume you're dealing with them. Do you have a sense if if Bob Dylan himself has any say or hand in what is and isn't included in what we eventually see when we, when we get the final thing? I think uh, nothing sees the light of day without Bob's approval. So he sees everything, um, whether, yeah. whether explicit or tacit, nothing happens without, you know, 
him signing off. Here's the, okay, um, so here's my quick question. It's very selfish. Can I ask yeah. you a selfish question? Because there's been, <laughs> sure, I think there's been two occasions where I've written reviews of Bob Dylan stuff. And they, uh, I noticed after the fact that the Bob Dylan people have blurbed it. They've used it in sort of like the press roundup and they've mentioned me. And then I think there was one record. It might have been one. I think it was, uh, I don't know which one it was. I should know. It was Fallen Angels or something, something relatively recent. And, mm-hmm. uh, they blurb me and I'm like, Oh my God. Does that mean? And I, you know, in my head, my stupid head, my brain, which is so dumb. I'm like, Oh, maybe Bob read my review. What was that? Like, you know, maybe I've been consuming all this Bob stuff for my whole life. Maybe he actually saw a thing I wrote. And then I was like, you idiot. There's no way he's sitting around reading his reviews. But then I was like, but they put it on the thing. Like maybe they actually were like, Hey, Bob, here's all the reviews that came in. Is there any chance? Am I crazy? I'm going to disappoint you. I really have no idea. <laughs> but no, no. But but what, based on what you said earlier, there's a chance if Bob sort of vets most of the stuff, because we assume you never, yeah. as we know, he he's so um, enigmatic. You never know. Um, well, no, but what you said earlier is a little heartening because I think we assume that an artist of his caliber would trust his team and say, oh, you want my archives? Yeah, yeah. Just load up a truck. I don't care. Just bring it. I don't care. I want to go to Mark then. So uh, thank you, Parker, for that background. I'm just, I just wanted that sort of sense memory experience. Mark, similar sort of questions. How freaked out were you when you first started working at the Bob Dylan Center and started to see stuff that is so fascinating, historic? Do you have a sense of the chain of command if Bob has any real say in these things? And also within all of that, I just, as a, on a personal and professional note, our sense of the Bob Dylan archive, the material is that it's endlessly vast. Particularly, I think, from my vantage point, the '60s to at least 2010. I'm, I, I'm, I'm. It seems to like when I look at the bootleg series that have start have come out since. I want to say around. Uh, when was the Telltale Signs one? Whatever. All I'm getting at is it seems like up until the '90s, we just had all these alternate things and blah blah blah. And I may be gapping on something since 2010. But anyway, my point is this. Just on a personal level for you, Mark, like, can you answer those questions in terms of chain of command? And also just like, is this overwhelming for you to go through so much stuff? Is there as much stuff as we think there is? Because I saw some stuff as a patron of the center. You guys showed me some extra stuff. And I was overwhelmed just by that. And I also know it's going to be changing all the time. Is it overwhelming to deal with all of this material, Mark? Yeah, I certainly. So there, there is a... Uh... There have been a couple of numbers out there. I think initially, you know, more than six thousand items from the, you know, and 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 that number was revised up to a hundred thousand. And it's that is quite a jump. I just I, did the math. Yeah. So when I saw the six thousand number, and I looked at the archive, and I looked at the number, and I looked at the archive, and I looked at the number, I was like, "That's not right." <laughs> and and the hundred thousand number is not right. It's immeasurable in a number of ways because. We're not just dealing with, you know, leaves of paper. It's all the session tapes and film footage and digital files and, you know, 160 some binders of photos from across Dylan's career and then photographic negatives, all of which has been digitized. And then does a negative strip, is, does that count as one or, you know, six photos in one? Does that count as, you know, is it is it six? Mm-hmm. Is it one? And I'll answer the rest of your question. But Parker, you were going to. No, I was going to say exactly that. I think um, so yeah, often yeah. the focus gets put on the manuscripts because they are 
the starting place there where, I mean, I think that's one of the things we try and communicate in the center is that the manuscripts exist pretty like the lyric manuscripts exist to get you to the point where, you know, Dylan can go into the studio and actually, you know, try and, and capture the song um, to find the song and capture the song in a way that satisfies him. But that's just one step in this process. And it leaves out the whole live story, which also we've tried to integrate, which is the afterlife of the song and how it continues again, pointing to that sort of, you know, restless creativity, how it evolves and changes over time, sometimes over 40 years, sometimes in a very, you know, things from Tempest have have shifted and changed. So the number is, yeah, like, I think there was a lot of focus initially on like the manuscript material without taking into account all of the live shows that are recorded or all of the rehearsals that were recorded or all of these other sort and you, of things. You, you have all this stuff. Like you, I mean, I didn't see all of this <laughs> stuff. You guys showed me a, a song that Bob Dylan uh, wrote in the late 80s. And uh, you were showing me the working draft of it. And I mean, if I remember correctly, that in itself was 6,000 pages <laughs> of just him going through all the verses of this song. So it just begs the question, like going through all this stuff, I think I, my sense is you're coming at this from... A very professional perspective. You're not fanboying out. Uh, neither of you have really said, oh, yeah, Bob Dylan was my my hero my whole life. I appreciate that. You have a little, dis- like, not dispassion, but you you have some distance from it. Does any of this archive material give you perspective on why people like me, nerds, are so endlessly fascinated by Bob Dylan? Mark, do you have a perspective on that? Yeah, I, I do. In fact, it's it's funny you ask this question. I I as as I want to do, I'm going to go in three directions at once. But I, I saw something on social media today about an object in the in the Dylan Center, and somebody said, "Why did I go to the Dylan Center to see something I have at home?" And I wanted to you know respond. It was not about you uh, <laughs> first, um, uh, and and then you know like what we're trying to do with the materials is tell us a a bigger story. You know, we intentionally put in places where, you know, everybody wants the rarest thing, but like, as we've Parker and I have, have discovered the second you put something out, it's not rare anymore. Like, like all of the video and audio and stuff is, is leaking all over, you know, it's out there now. Oh, you mean, Uh, you mean since people, I, I asked, since the center was open. I I asked you guys, like, can I socially mediate, the stuff yeah, I'm we, seeing, we, and yeah. you, you said yes, like uh, everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We there's there's no there's no controlling it, but the uh, but and that's not the point either. It's it's there are times you know where where people will come in like VIPs or you know celebrities or or whatever will will come in and and I think at some point like in my twenties or whatever when I I started realizing that people are people and like like i just don't it doesn't like you know make my heart flutter in the same way it did you know meeting mickey dolan's when i was 10 or whatever like Hmm. you know it's it's part of my job to show off the manuscript materials i mean the thing that falls away is that there are times when i see things through other people's eyes and reactions this is the same with the center as it is with you know showing off the chimes of freedom manuscript or any of the 60s stuff is at some point it's just my job, but then the reactions of Diana Crawl coming through and, and seeing an alternate version of Simple Twist of Fate and watching her, you know, get emotional over 
that because she has a personal connection to the song makes me go, oh my God, I'm working with, you know, I'm, I'm the, the caretaker of these materials that are incredibly important. I, another aside, we had 2018 or 2019, we had a group of folks come through for this Leonard Peltier benefit and Chris Christopherson and Jesse Coulter and Shooter Jennings and Lenny Kay was there. Um, that was the only time I broke sort of my my veneer in the same way that Parker did. I I said exactly the same thing. I said, Lenny, I don't normally gush. I'm in a room full of like, you know, in- incredibly important people, celebrities. But I just wanted to thank you. Nicest guy. So I got to interact briefly with uh, Lenny uh, and it was nice. And I hope we can connect uh, for a longer chat at some point um, uh, at the time. I- I- Go ahead, Parker. Oh, no, no. Sorry. I keep cutting you off. No, no, it's it's fine. I was just going to say that I was talking to Lenny and we were exchanging contact info and then Mark Marin noticed it and he came by and was like, hey, Lenny, it's me, Mark Marin. And I was like, oh, and Lenny's like, hello. And then he returned his attention to me. I was like, is this a podcast competition? What is happening right now? Mark was very sweet. It was nice to see Mark uh, throughout the weekend, though. I'm making a joke, but I, I do think... It was interesting to be at the center and, you know, oh, Patty Smith's walking in and, uh, you know, to interact with Patty a little bit or, or Elvis Costello or whoever, like, and, and to hear from some of your colleagues, uh, about others who have participated in some sort of video, uh, archive you're creating of, of talking to people about creativity, which I was very honored to be, uh, included in as well. So there does seem to be this, like, it's not just about coming to the center. And immersing yourself in all this rare and interesting stuff about Bob Dylan or Woody Guthrie. It's really about, like I say, paying it forward. I don't know if that's the right expression, but just like harnessing all of these creative people and what their spirit is and infusing it in the room uh, and infusing it in these spaces and seeing what can be done to spread the word about the significance of creativity. Sorry, I keep saying kind of the same thing, but I'm still three or four days uh, after leaving But the more you say it, the more you kind of hone in on it Um, because it is, you know, sort of an unusual, I think it's why it's called a center and not a museum. It's sort of an, you know, a different sort of premise. And I think again, to, to shout out our, um, you know, uh, Michael Chaikin, that was sort of part of, of his uh, as the initial curator, part of his vision, what he brought to the table. And I think, one thing is that like the museum, right. Or the <laughs> caught myself in the web. Um, the, the thing about the center right now is that, you know, it's probably about as Dylan centric as it will ever be. Meaning as time goes on and the story, his story evolves as the story of the center evolves, it will become, it's supposed to be about like using him as a cipher, as a way of looking at a world of creativity. So to take in all of his influences, which are voluminous, as we all know, yeah, and, and so eclectic, just like Harry Smith, which is why I think it's amazing that you know, they were able to acquire the Harry Smith library. I was quite, but, o- I um, was quite overwhelmed to see his vinyl library and his literary library. That was, uh, you yeah. know, Harry Smith looms large for me as well. Yeah. Sorry. But it'll also take in, you know, all of the things that Dylan has influenced, yeah. which are also, you know, everyone from Kazuo Ishiguro, who won the Nobel Prize two years after Dylan did yeah. to, you know, local artists in Tulsa. Yeah. You know, I think I think that's the beauty of it and, and sort of the premise of not creating a static 
same. Absolutely appreciate that it's going to be ever evolving, and uh, also appreciate that I need to save money to make a trip at least once a year to see what you've done. <laughs> uh, on that note, I know we can't get into everything, and I, I don't know if people feel like I've done a satisfactory job of illuminating what the center is like. I'll do that very quickly based on my memory. You walk into the place, there's like a store, and there's uh, mostly every Dylan record that's in print. There's books, there's shirts, there's hats, all that, posters. And then you go through, and I was immediately greeted by an incredible installation uh, of very, very thoughtfully rendered, like artistic uh, interpretations of what Dylan's creative process was like. Typewriters with papers floating around in this very beautiful way, and there's a film showing a lot of it. I think grabbed from the Martin Scorsese uh, documentary uh, No Direction Home. I think mostly, but maybe some. I didn't sit and watch that. I was like, either see so then anyway, sorry. Then you go through uh, on the first floor, and there's this like chronological audio video interactive uh, uh, in, uh, exhibit uh, uh, that traces Dylan's life. And you, if you're smart, uh, as I was on my second or finally on my second or third time through the center, you'll stop by the front desk before you go in and get a little iPod, basically, which RIP, they just discontinued that this week. I don't know if it's an iPod. I think it is an iPod with headphones. Yes. The day we opened, they discontinued the iPod Touch. So that's just perfect timing. And then you go to the uh, each exhibit. This I thought was very clever. You tap your uh, iPod against the thing, and then you hear whatever the the biographical stuff is talking about. Sometimes it's incredibly rare stuff. I found myself... uh, mesmerized by every live foot every bit of live footage i just stood there mouth agape just like holy shit like stuff i've even watched a billion times myself by the way they clever they edited out the soy bomb guy in the grammys performance that's very clever editing good job bob dylan center anyway then that's the first floor if i captured that okay like it's that's pretty much is that have i missed anything yeah there's a uh, a jukebox interactive oh, right. yeah. that uh, Elvis Costello curated. There are listening booths that trace uh, the influence, some of the Bob's formative in- influences. There's a studio interactive experience where you can hear a, f- a few stories of how songs came together using using actual session tape. The stuff that gets left out of the bootleg series, and then a couple of songs where you can you can mess with the the stems, the mixes, yeah. and and be able to. Very yeah. interactive. So, and then there's an upstairs, and that was uh, ostensibly more of a gallery type thing. But is that first floor among? Will that constantly change? Uh, I assume the gallery is space upstairs. And forgive me if I'm mischaracterizing it, but that's my memory of it. By the way, I should say that in my recollection, I was pretty much overwhelmed by everything that was going on because I would go in one day and there was Elvis Costello. <laughs> And then you go in the next day, there's Taj Mahal had shown up all of a sudden. And, 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 and I'm just, I'm all of it. And then there's all the Dylan stuff and then all the related stuff. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Mark, you had your hand raised. Yeah. Uh, uh, teacher. Um, yeah, I, I wanted, I, I wanted to say that we started working on this in earnest when the pandemic hit and we were working on this idea of Dylan eras and what songs we would provide for the initial set of six songs and you know what the jukebox might be in the studio space and what's going to go in the archive wall and Parker and I ended up selecting 90 some percent of everything that that you see in the center with all the captions and and all of that and with the idea that this was the first 
tranche of materials that that we would provide. It's it's designed to be modular and or intended to be modular, uh, so that we're able to, to swap things the, out. The, um, the first floor as well. Then, like the chronolo- yeah, Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's that's the intention. The the one thing that I'll I'll say is uh and and i said i i haven't been able to i i don't know if parker's had the same experience but like when i see something i see all the work that went to select the image license the image write the caption or the object and you know uh the case and the you know desiccant needs and you know uh environmental conditions and so when my fiance came through the center for the first time and she had you know, it's been nearly two years of me working on it and talking about it and obsessing. And, and she walked through the first floor and it was while installation was happening. It was still a construction site. We had hard hats on and she started to go through. And I went upstairs to work with the install team. Uh, It's a wonderful team from, from, from Georgia who did incredible work, lovingly placing all the objects in, in, in cases. And then I was like, where is she? It was, I mean, time went by and I went and she had moved about 10 feet. And that was when I realized that the museum is so dense that it it's, it's really, it's going to take somebody a day, you know, just to get through it. And it's, it's a relatively small space as you can I, attest. To. I went through three, four times, three and a half times. Like I said, there would, I'd get there and there'd be something distracting me or being pulled into that Elvis Costello, uh, press scrum or whatever, you know, but, uh, yeah, I, I miss it already, if I might say. Like I, I do. I want to go back again, but I thought I would ask you about some highlights of the current exhibit. And also, Parker, if you want to follow up on anything Mark was just talking about in terms of the way the thing is going to yeah. constantly evolve, um, that would be good. Yeah, just to, I'll comment on like a couple specific, like where you know. So there's a an exhibit around the walls called Nine Eras that's supposed to walk you for the lay visitors, but also for the, you know, we, we had the skimmers, swimmers, and divers. That was sort of the audiences that we were trying to, and for the the divers, you know, the audio, the touch points that show you, you know, rare and audio and audio visual material that can all easily, you know, swap out. And some of the images, you know, the six songs, some of those songs obviously are going to be evergreens, right? Like everybody wants to, learn about like Rolling Stone and see the original manuscript. Like how could yeah. you, you know, same probably with Tangled Up in Blue, but things like The Man in Me or Not Dark Yet, you know, when we were pooling, we basically pooled like the entire team and asked everybody for their 10 favorite Dylan songs. And from that whittled it down to the six. So, you know, and everybody has, you know, there's overlap, but they have their like one or two that they want to like, you know, plant a flag and make their case from. So I think that's where, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be a lot of fun in the future to, to tell the stories of these different sort of well, songs I enjoy the, I, and give deep dives. I enjoy way. the man in me because I sing it to my daughter every night. I take a guitar up and, uh, or every night, sorry, every other night I'm on a shift. My wife and I swap who does what. So I sing Dylan songs mostly and silver juice songs and whatever else I can think of, uh, that I can play and halfway sing. So I love the man in me for that reason. It's just a fun song to play. And that, that exhibit was for those, hopefully you'll be able to see it. Those of you listening right now, because you go to that section and they there's this weird, almost security camera footage uh, from the studio it's, session from the take. I believe it's from the actual. It's, take. it's the t- that's I think one of the yeah. if not the only time you can actually see Dylan record the take in yeah. the studio. It's it's actually like early 
it's like the earliest camcorder like you'd have at Christmas. Oh, wow. it's, okay. it's it's in 1970. It's Sony port you know, video camera. It's that's really, why it looks the way it does. It's beautifully done. And I, you know, I kind of take for granted that that song had a new lease on life because of the big Lebowski and all that contextual information is provided. And it's just fun. It's fun. It's a fun performance. Like he's having fun, maybe not sure where the song is going to go. And that ends up being the take. And you can see that yeah, kind of I mean, excitement and uncertainty on all the session on the players, you know, it's really Anyway, all I'm saying is I'd never seen that before in my life. I assume most people haven't. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> but hopefully the whole music, you know, hopefully the whole center is fun. I mean, yeah. you know, I think we're talking about it again, like sort of with some distance and, and as Mark said, sort of with a critical eye to the things we need to fix, but to yeah. like kind of stand back, you know, at no point in the process did I get tired of the music of Bob Dylan, you know, that's, that's something that I think like when you were to go back to your question about like why so many people obsess about it, it's because you can go through the, the center, you can go through that archive all day and a, you'll just come away with more questions. I mean, than answers, right. In no way do we seek to like demystify this the you know we want to shed more light and contextualize but in no way does it demystify this great artist but then also over time i've just gained so much you know i was a fan in the way that many people are fans but the deeper you go the more of an appreciation you have for the art for the work ethic and i hope you know some of that is sort of it, it's really particularly in the audiovisual material that that is really what probably will start to seep in and and change the most because it's just a, a you know a bottomless yeah. well of amazing unreleased um and rare material yeah uh, and so that's that's where i think it will really grow and continue to tell um the story in interesting ways i wanted to it's going to be impossible maybe to pick uh, one highlight each from what's in the center now. I want you to contemplate that as you contemplate another thing. You guys were gushing about running into Lenny K and the fact that because of this work you do, basically, you've been able to interact with someone like that. And then I was mentioning Patti Smith going through, Taj Mahal, Elvis Costello, Mark Maron. Like there were people, and then all the sort of Dylan luminaries, the people who've written about him that you kind of, you know, Clinton Halen and other people were there as well. Uh, just names. Ma- Mavis Staples as Mavis well. Mavis Staples, of course. Yes. I didn't see Mavis at the center, but I did see her wonderful concert. So yes, of course. So my point is this. If you want, you can talk about one highlight, please, if you like, if something that you think is really special currently in the center. But I also think like, are you guys aware of what you're in for in this work? Particularly Mark, you being in Tulsa, you're going to get weird calls every once in a while. So-and-so is in town. They want to check out the center. The president's in town. He wants to check out the center. Are you feeling that now? Like, have you already... I mean, within all that, I want to know if Bob himself has been through. Someone told me while I was in Tulsa, he didn't even come by when he was on tour here. He sent Tony Garnier. The bass player came. I didn't send him, but Tony came. Bob didn't come. So my questions are all over the place. I'm sorry. I'm tired. It's a long trip back from Tulsa, and I'm still recovering. Highlights in the center. Do you feel like you're in a magical place where you're going to interact with people? Is anyone else that we haven't discussed blown your mind just to have them come through? And then C or three. <laughs> do you Yo. imagine much interaction with uh, with Bob Bob Dylan himself at some point? 
Uh, Mark, I want to go to you with all of these questions. Yeah, I've I've maintained and and have almost made wagers with some of the folks in my orbit. Uh, I don't I don't believe I'll, I'll meet Bob in my lifetime. Uh, it's my belief, but you know, I'm wrong about things every day. So overall, I mean, the fact that my colleagues um, and especially Steve Higgins was able to pull off the series of concerts that happened, Mavis, then Patty, then Elvis Costello, and all the other events that were going on was a feat. I mean, for the city and to come out of Patty Smith and to see the OK Tower that we have in Tulsa um, uh, from the same architect who did the World Trade Center, we have a smaller scale, exact same building, and it was lit up uh, and it said Bob in the windows and everybody came out of the concert. And that, that was the moment I think for everybody where we had just seen Patty Smith give this like incredible show. I mean, it was, it was so good. And um, her son Jackson, I was like, I want to be that guitarist. Like I, everything (laughs) about anyhow, I, I was freaking out and, and to come out and see that. And, and for me, that was the moment where I was like, we did it or we're here. Like, like we've been building up to this moment since the, the second the Dylan archive came to Tulsa before I got here and have been working for years to get to this moment. And that was the the moment that it was like, Oh, this is it. No, that's lovely to hear. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that I was part of that moment for you in some ways. Like that's, I didn't, you, it's weird. You, you plan a party probably for five years and and then when it finally happens, and in some senses you can relax because it's happening finally, and the other you're like, what fire do I have to put out? You seemed, both of you, a little wild-eyed, and you're dealing with lots of speaking engagements and all sorts of things. But yeah, those concerts, Mavis Staples, Patti Smith, Elvis Costello, and the Imposters, all in Kane's ballroom, for crying out loud. Like That, that was yes. significant for yeah. me, and I'd forgotten that that was even happening. Like I saw it as I arrived at like the dinner reception thingy, and I was like, oh yeah. I get to go to Canes. This is incredible. Anyway, I appreciate that that answer, uh, Mark Parker. What about you? Um, any any highlights of the center currently that you want to talk about? Maybe or one rather for, for brevity. Wow. If there's if there's anything you can, it's one I singled out for uh, Alan Maskin, who was the lead architect from Wilson Kundig on the project, because he made me go around and then stand in front of something for a picture. And it's um, I like it because not only for what it is, which is incredible but because of the relationships that brought it sort of to the center the nice story behind it so it's um in nine eras there's a screen um for the era i think it's 77 78 to 83 it's the era called pressing on with jesus Mm -hmm. and um it's a a performance shot on a on a super eight millimeter camera from the balcony at the warfield theater and the in November of 1980, and it's Bob Dylan performing The Groom's Still Waiting at the Altar with Michael Bloomfield. So it's a reunion with Michael Bloomfield, who, for those of you who don't know, played guitar on Like a Rolling Stone and was an astounding guitarist who was in Dillard's orbit in the mid six or in mid-1965 and played on a lot of the you know, Highway 61, revisited a lot of those classic recordings. And then drifted away, but it comes from, it's just a, it's an unbelievable music performance. And actually, like, I think 
um, the footage, which had sound miraculously, actually the sound from the Super 8 actually sounds better to me than the soundboard because you just get so much more of Bloomfield's kind of slashing tone. And it um, it's it's not only cool because it's still in Reunited with Bloomfield, but it's actually the last footage of Bloomfield that we have. He died two months later, I believe. It's not, not long. Yeah. Sorry. You Somewhere should know. in there. You should no, know better yeah. than me. I, I only I know. read Excuse the thing me, on the I'm thing. A, he did. Um, yeah. I'm forgetting that. my own caption, but um, <laughs> it's, it, it ends, you know, they, they perform the song. It ends with a hug and, and a nice shout out from, from Dylan to Bloomfield. And it, it's a very, it's, it's not only, and Dylan is one of the best blues singers of all time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'll, you know, that's, I'll, I'll go to the mat for that one Absolutely. anytime, but, would, um, too, yeah. but it's not only a great performance, it's a great moment and has a great story because that was shot by a guy named Bill Pagel, who, um, he does you know, Bob, Bob links, right? He does the Bob links. He does Bob side. links. Yeah. And, um, his archive or his collection was acquired by the Bob Dylan archive. And, um, he, you know, attended all of that sort of second Warfield run in 1980 when Dylan started to reintroduce, some of his old songs and, and, and secular material after a period of doing just gospel music for about a year and a half. Yeah. And um, yeah, he has, Bill has footage of, of Garcia joining Dylan on stage. He, uh, he has footage of the only time Dylan ever played Caribbean wind. Uh, we just chose this Bloomfield because it, it ties in, you know, I think that's one of the things people will see on, on repeated visits is that we've kind of left the threads, the through lines, there are these sort of implicit or, or sort of invisible maybe through lines that you won't get the first time around, but, Oh, this person pops up down over here and then, you know, shows yeah. up again, you know, big shout out to um, Bill Pagel. Also, you know, that collection came through another uh, good friend of the center, Mitch blank, whose collection he, you know, Mitch and Bill were sort of collecting Dylan before, you know, from the start, um, they yeah. realized that something was going on there. And so, um, you know, their collections are going to be, you know, bedrocks of, of sort of supporting materials. And, and, and it was, that's, sorry, I don't mean to blather on here. No, but like I, ways, I, I talked nice. to, I talked to some of those folks who said I, we would just make conversation. They asked who I was, I think primarily because I was the only Brown person at the entire uh, all, at all the events, just sort of kidding. But, uh, no, they're like, what, what's your deal? Why does your pass say VIP? And I'd be like, I don't know. They just gave it to me. <laughs> Sorry. And then, uh, I, but they'd say, I'd say, what are you doing? They're like, Oh, you know, I've been collecting stuff. I really love the fact that, you know, you hear Bob Dylan archive and you assume, Oh, this egomaniac and his team have saved all every clipping. But when you actually look at the center's, uh, credits, you're like, Oh, this is really fan fueled. It's very much fueled by people who realized, like you said, something was happening. I'm going to save this. So you get this very community oriented reflection of this person's history, which I also thought was really heartening. And then like, I, I didn't talk to Bill, but I saw him at the thing. And, uh, for those who don't know Bill, the, I rely on the Bob Links uh, site myself because uh, uh, Bill will uh, uh, upload or whatever every set list from every show. And I think he's got all of them basically that, that exists that he's aware of. And it's fantastic. And I've been looking at that site for uh, since I've been seeing Dylan regularly the last 25 years. So it was just nice to see all these like internet people you don't normally see, even if I didn't talk to all of them. But uh, I just want to say like it felt, it feels 
like the center serves this uh you mentioned the distinctions there and i can't remember them all that what was it the skimmers swimmers and divers or some weird fisherman thing i don't know that's it yeah so i Indeed. i just think that's wonderful <laughs> it does feel like a center that is very inclusive uh for people who don't know who this fellow is and what his work is but for those of us who have been following it it's very rewarding and it feels like we've all put in our our love and our time into this guy and his work and his shows and his records and all these things. And you come together there. For me, it was very special to be a part of that community there. I'm not a convention person. I don't, I don't, <laughs> don't really go to things like this, but it, it wasn't just that they were in the room with me. If they were still with us, it was that I could see the love on the walls. I could see and hear the love coming through, um, so yeah, I just wanted to convey these things to you and and thank you again. Um, so I'm going to go to Mark. Mark, if people want to learn more about the Bob Dylan Center and figure out how to get to Tulsa and uh, check it out. And also within that, if there's anything that they can interact with online. I feel like when I spoke with Michael Chaikin, he suggested that might be a possibility. There might be some web stuff you could do if you weren't always, if you couldn't make it to the center. I don't know if that's still the case or if I'm misremembering that. Can you give us some background, Mark, on how people can interact with the center and learn more about it? Yeah, of course. BobDylanCenter.com is the uh, the way to reach us and get all the latest information. We don't do the online thing for the the archive, but you know, with a big enough check, you know, we can we can talk. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, absolutely not. No, I. Um, <laughs> But yeah, by, the way, by Dylan, the way, by the way, everyone, Mark is asking me for the money. That's what that yes. was. He wasn't <laughs> not from some beneficiary other than me. Just Vish, write us a check. We'll, yes. we'll figure it out for you. Yeah. <laughs> Just a, um, it'll, the, 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 whatever the, the topic will be web hosting. That's what the check will be for. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Yes. Consulting. <laughs> um, well, well, we should point out real quick just to, you know, we've talked about the fans going to in the other direction, you know, Universal, which um, acquired oh, right. Dylan's publishing and, Sony Music, which is his label for basically forever, have both been big, big supporters yeah. of the center and the mission of the archive and, and, you know, making things happen. And so it really speaks to like that this is bringing everyone together, bringing everybody, everybody to have a seat at the table to feel like they can contribute. And in that way, we keep moving the thing forward. It does feel very unified and like, a, yeah, it's a galvanization of the of the vast Dylan universe, I guess, is a way of putting it. So, yeah, it, you know, the thing we've looked is like, why start from the beginning when people, you know, are already doing this work? Why not partner with the right yeah. collectors or the right sort of companies to make make it lighter work for all yeah, of us? Fair enough. Sorry, yeah, Mark, Mark, back, back to you. <laughs> BobDylanCenter.com. Yeah, BobDylanCenter.com uh, is is the best way to get all the latest information about uh, what's going on at the center. And, you know, we were working so hard to uh, get the the center open exhibits ready for people to come in that, well, we've got more work to do to get all the backup house stuff together and, and get the actual physical collection down into the secured vaults. And um, uh, so that's going to that's going to be a little while. So for all you researchers who have for two plus years been trying to get into the Dylan archive not much longer yeah we'll be uh, at some point this summer we'll be having stuff begin to be available again okay now not to put too much pressure on you because you literally have just opened the thing to the public after this uh, VIP grand opening weekend thing 
Parker, when do you like we've talked about how it's going to evolve constantly? When do you anticipate the next big change to uh, the exhibition occurring? Like, is there a timeline? Does it change every month? How does that work? Um, little things can change all the time. You know, the this particularly um, the the digital exhibits, which just to keep shouting out all of the the partners, yeah. uh, fifty nine productions, give them their roses. Uh, ben Piercy, Tom Wexler. Um, Mark Grimmer, uh, the principals uh, who worked on the project. But uh, that stuff will come in constantly. I think, you know, in six months to a year, you know, some more sort of substantive changes. Mark, when does the temporary exhibition swap out? Well, yeah, that's a good point. So we've we've started out with, so on the facade of the building is the, uh, uh, it's a a photograph from December of 65 from uh, Jerry Schatzberg. Yeah, Uh, yeah. And and the mural, it's incredible. It's it it really it's it's really beautiful work. And we were fortunate enough um, to get from a gallery in New York City, Photographiska, a Jerry Schatzberg exhibit that was up that we were able to get here to Tulsa, and it will be running through uh, into the fall, into October, I believe. And thereafter, we'll we'll have a new wonderful. Very exciting. I'm super excited about it. Uh, exhibit coming into play um, in our temporary gallery there. We've got so much incredible Dylan footage that we've been preserving, digitizing in HD that that will be some mind blowing experiences that we're really excited to share in the cinema space upstairs. Um, the archive wall is, you know, this I think it's 12 foot by 70 foot. Uh, it's massive yeah, series yeah. of boxes with with artifacts yeah. That will be rotating out. Plus yeah, that has yes. a touchscreen component, which has yes. all this. If you didn't get into that, you can see physical objects on the wall and then get into sort of text and a lot of digital content behind right. supporting that story. Yeah. Parker threw in a ton of Easter eggs in the touchscreen of the archive <laughs> wall, like like deep, 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 deep cuts. And nice. um, people are going to freak out about that. Anyhow, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's remarkable. And I'm already, like I say, I'm feeling like I wish we'd had this conversation while I was still in the, my mm-hmm. hotel room so I could go uh, explore things that I may have missed because it, there did seem to be a lot of Easter eggs. And, and it was, it's, it's, I, you know what? It's funny. I ran into Marin after he'd just come out of the center on the Saturday, I think. And he said, Oh man, I just came out of the center. Isn't it amazing? I'm like, Yeah, it's incredible. It's actually a little overwhelming. And he went, No, it's just right. I'm like, Okay. Why are you so intense about everything? I just was trying to say, as a fan, it was anyway. I feel like I, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm slagging no, no, Mark no, no. too much. We, 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 <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, you've got about six inches on him. Um, but you know, <laughs> but the thing is, is, is you, you are an incredibly. I mean, what a, I mean, what a treat it has been to 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 meet you in person after hearing your podcast for as long as I have and, and sort of the, the role that it's played in, in my life and, and many a long cross country trip. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I take you any day over any other podcaster <laughs> that uh, I, I had the choice of. And um, <laughs> I'm just not a, now I sound like I'm being competitive. I just thought it was a funny because to me it is overwhelming. Yeah. And I just, I, I found it overwhelming. And like I say, I'm already feeling like, Oh, I missed some things that I should have delved deep into, but it was a bit, you know, there was a lot going on that weekend and I do want to come back is all I want to say. Like I I want to convey to people who haven't experienced it yet, that it's so multi-layered. 
you're going to have the best time of your life if you're a fan of this person. If you're not a fan of this person, you're going to learn a lot of stuff. And maybe the seemingly ephemera is not going to matter to you, but then there's going to be another person right next to you who's going to be like almost on the floor freaking out that they're seeing this thing. So I just want to commend you both again. Mark, thanks for the kind words. It means a lot. And I just want to say thank you for spending time with me today. Again, people can go to the Bob Dylan, com for more info. And I think that's all I have left to say. Mark, Parker, thank you yeah. so much. And I hope we Our, speak again My pleasure. Soon. No, Absolutely. yeah. Uh, next, next, next podcast, we can devote entirely to talking about Fugazi. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> like Please. most of our, most of our conversations <laughs> in Tulsa seem to be about Fugazi and Will Oldham and all these sorts of things. So I appreciate that. And yes, we'll have you back. And we'll dig deep into our love of Fugazi for sure. I hope you don't feel short shrifted because we didn't do that today. No. <laughs> Parker, Parker Mark, all. thank you so much. Thank you, Vish. Thanks, Vish. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Very special thanks again to Mark and Parker for appearing on this, the 686th episode of Creative Control, to talk about Bob Dylan and the Bob Dylan Center. Don't normally talk to people about things. Usually talk to people... Wait, that doesn't make no sense. I don't usually talk to the people who aren't the main people we're talking about. Does that make sense? I talk to the artists. Don't often talk to the, the curators or the organizers of things, but I really liked doing this. They're very nice folks. Uh, everyone connected to the Bob, Bob Dylan Center, but I hung out maybe the most with Mark and Parker while we were in Tulsa. Anyway, I really enjoyed their company. Very pleased to have them, like I say, on the 686th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it, or if you want to learn more about me, sign up for my monthly newsletter. Please visit my website, vishkana.com, and like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show directly on Twitter at vishcreative, or you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol to make a flexible monthly donation. Uh, that uh, is ostensibly the only way this show generates any kind of revenue. Wouldn't it be great if this was all I did? Just made this show, alas, not looking likely any time in my lifetime, but I try and I ask you to support the, the labor, the work uh, that goes into the show if you can. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content, both uh, derived from my archive of 
old audio interviews and some video interviews. And also, if, if I have the chance and the time, I ask my guests uh, who are on the show if they'll go into a little bit of OT. And I've been posting those little clips uh, that are separate but connected to the interviews that are on the main podcast feed. Anyway, if you're interested in any of these things and also in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, please message me on Patreon. I will get you one while supplies last. I sent a shirt to Ontario. For some reason, there's some sort of return to sender thing going on. I got to go pick it up at the post office. I'm going to do that right after I do this. Figure that out. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer, Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about at their website, blackbird.ca. Also, thanks to Pizza Trocadero, the bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to Jim Guthrie for lending me some music. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode with Mark and Parker about the Bob Dylan Center. I hope you get to visit it sometime. It's remarkable. Thank you for subscribing or following this, subscribing to this podcast or following it and telling your friends about it and helping to spread the word about creative control. Thank you. I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.